Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Today, we are talking about target date funds and their usage and, and value. Um, we discuss uh, point of sale p- financing that we're seeing with a lot of retailers. Um, and then finally, we're going to wrap up with running out of money, running out of time, and and balancing kind of life and, and savings. Um, we'll wrap up with our top five drinks. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 45 of Untucked. This is Megan. 45. It's, and Mike's here. This is Jeff. There Did you guys know fans. that dogs don't sweat? I didn't know that. Really? I mean, I didn't know that, but I would have guessed they don't. Because <laughs> when have you ever like petted a dog or pet a dog and said, oh, man, it's disgusting. A dog's sweating like a pig. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Do pigs sweat? Do you know that for a fact, Mike? Actually, that's a, that's actually right. one we should look up. Uh, yeah, that's why they pant so much. That's how they're cooling off their bodies. They're like breathing heavy, you know, obviously. I thought everyone knew that. I can't believe you guys didn't. That's embarrassing for the two of you. <laughs> I don't know a lot about dogs. It's the one area. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. All right. You want to lead us off with... Uh... Philly sports. I mean, after last night's performance, of it's course gotta he's got to go. It's got to be, be the lead story. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, one game, one game, and all that. But uh, I think they they delivered everything that everyone was kind of advertising about the depth and just a really really tough team to play against. And this this team, this Flyers team, is um, legit. I mean, they're, they're legit. They're, they're legit on paper, and they. The way they played last night, it's you know nobody wants to play these guys. So awesome to see Lindblom and Patrick both score. The two guys who have been like, I mean, out for long periods of time, and uh, just fun to watch. I don't know if Jeff, did you watch? I watched. Yeah, yeah, I watched um, a little bit of it. The beginning, a little bit of the middle. I watched. Uh, Carter Hart tried to play a puck from behind his net and give it right to uh, uh, Sidney Crosby, who knocked it into the net. Is that your description of that play? No. It cannot be. No, no. I mean, Bad Cro- decision by Hart, but what an insane play Dude. by Crosby. Like, that was insane. Hart goes behind the net, and he tries to play the puck out of the zone. And he, f- like he, he, he flicks it in the air like towards his defenseman. But Sidney Crosby's right there. Like, the one person in the NHL that you do not want to be between that puck and your other player. He bats it down out of the air with his stick and then goes with one hand and knocks it into the net for a goal. Empty netter. Like it was it was crazy. It was a crazy yeah. play by Sidney Crosby. It just sounds I've gotten no. so second or third time. <laughs> third time I Oh, oh, you didn't you've already been told the story? <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh no, great. I mean, it, it, what's awesome is I, I think there's an NHL game every single night for the next like hundred and some day. I 166 consecutive which days. Which is awesome. And Holy then, shit. Yeah. And then I, I just pulled up the Flyers schedule. Like, I'm like, oh my. I mean, it's four, four games a week. 
maybe even five sometimes, and it's it's awesome. It's gonna be really hard to stay for these guys for everybody to stay healthy, and it's gonna be hard for every team. And then COVID, you throw that in there, it is gonna be a really interesting NHL season for sure. So getting back to Carter Hart, I was just a little bit bummed because I've seen him make bonehead plays with the puck before. Like it's kind of part of his mo. I don't think so. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's a that's just a poor decision. And I just feel happens. like I see him make What's a lot. More important is he he like was unfazed by it. I mean, he he was great the rest of the game, and that's what uh, what's so good about him is he he'll you know he'll give up a soft goal or make a play like that, and he doesn't melt down. No. So it's it's awesome. They're um, I'm I'm psyched, Jeff. You you rip on me every year because I'm always like you know Flyers are gonna be good. Um, <laughs> I think this year is different. I, so you think well, there'll be a different result this year? Well, caveat is it could be because of how hard the season is going to be and everyone's dealing with completely unique situation schedules and protocols and all that. I, I don't think you can predict anybody. I mean, I think there, there's 10 or 12 teams that could win the cup this year based on how um, you know the path that you're going to have to go through to get there. But the, this team on paper is – um, consensus, like maybe division winner at worst, second in the division. So you're saying, barring any like significant injury to major team players, they yeah. have a legitimate shot to to be in contention for the cup. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's awesome. It's exciting, and it, it's they finally like we finally have a team in Philadelphia that like is making progress okay. in one in one. No, I'm not like bashing the Sixers. But like the Eagles, like they win the Super Bowl and then they fought, like they make the playoffs and now they're even worse. Like they're progressing the wrong way. The Flyers have been consistently like didn't make the playoffs, make it to the first round, make it to, like they I feel like they've they're getting better and better every year. Yeah, and I think the guy the younger guys who are now sort of the core pieces on this team are now not you know 20 years old. They're they're they've got some experience. They've been in the playoffs. They're they're noticeably more impactful, and that's like huge. It's huge. Yeah. It's not just Giroux, Vorchek, you know, Couturier. It's it's all the other guys that are going to. I mean, Kevin Hayes looks awesome already. Um, so I mean, they're they're solid. Yeah. And all the coaching staff is the same, right? Yeah. So, so Av, who uh, this is his second year, I believe. Longest tenured coach in Philly sports oh right now. Yeah. It's kind of wild. Yeah. That's hysterical. Pretty funny. <laughs> because Dougie P's out the door. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess we haven't talked about that no. here, have we? No. Yeah. Thoughts? I mean, do you guys really think it was literally that it wouldn't have happened had he not made the decision to, you know, Pull Hurts out in that, that last game in that whole debacle in the fourth quarter. Oh, are they saying that's why they fired him? I mean, I read that. That that, oh. that was like the – like he was okay until he did that. Oh, I I thought that it was just a shit show of a season and they needed to place blame on somebody. And the person who, I guess, like that can have the biggest impact in that sense is the coach. I didn't know that like one game defined – there was that just decision. such a like league-wide and yeah. fan-wide uproar over the Eagles, the way they handled that yeah. last game, that maybe the front office just, you know, maybe that was a straw. I don't know. 
doesn't really matter. I mean, no. I think you know, there's so many changes that need to be made anyway. Yeah, and I think I would argue that the the Eagles' problem isn't their coach. Yeah, you know, he's the least of their problems. The problem is they have no talent. The problem is they don't know how to draft. The problem is they have an owner and a general manager have no idea what they're doing. So mm-hmm. until you fix that, I mean, I don't care who's coaching them mm-hmm. because they don't have any players to coach. Mm-hmm. Like we have a franchise quarterback we're paying $50 million to be a backup because they don't know how to fix them. Like that's a problem. We have guys that get injured multiple players a game because they don't know how to practice and train like it's crazy yeah and it feels like every draft pick we have the guy who's like two or three picks behind him is like all rookie or all pro and then the eagles player is like torn acl rager or metcalf (laughs) like are you kidding me like are you kidding me so who put dj metcalf Mm. And Rager next to each other, and we're like, "Oh, dude, mm. we want this skinny, scrawny little Jeff Mastronardo-looking guy." Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my god, you're smaller than Rager. <laughs> it's my point. <laughs> like DK Metcalf is sub. Like he, like he's not even human, dude. Uh, I gotta know. There's gotta be something else. There, there's gotta be something else. There's pictures. I'm telling you, Ro- Roseman has pictures. Has weird pictures of Jeffrey Lurie <laughs> doing weird things. <laughs> He has to. Yeah, I mean, that's like to my point. Flyers have been trending up, and it, it's not like they're good one year, like in 2019, and they suck in 2020, and they're, like they're consistently getting better. The Phillies and the and and the Eagles are spiraling out of control right now. Like they're they're spiral. Like it's gonna be bad for a long time. The Sixers, they like. They are so confused, but they have like talent, so they're going to be kind of good, but they're just never going to win. So now this year looks like it might be a little better. They may have, although I just, I just feel, I fear that like the pieces that they plugged in to be like the compliments and Meg, you can speak to this. Like they're the right pieces. Like they're just not good enough. They're not enough. Like they're, they're just not the, like, they're the right pieces, right? We need a shooter. Mm-hmm. They're just not, like, it's Seth Curry. Right. Like, we needed a number one guy, and we got, like, a number four guy. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so yeah. they're going to be just good enough to, like, get to the Eastern Conference Finals and, like, lose by a quadruple <laughs> doink or, like, make it to the finals and lose. Yeah. And, like, well, I love it. I love watching them. I, I, I love having, like, another playoff game and, like, another opportunity to watch. But it's, like, in the end, why do we go through this if we're not, like, Gonna win. I mean, as far as I know, they did everything they could to try to get James Harden, which is exactly what they should be doing. Fat ass James Harden. <laughs> Dude, he's fat, but he'll drop 40 on you in a blink of an eye. The Nets absolutely unloaded to get him. I mean, we like the Sixers don't even have enough picks to like be able to put together some type of package, this type of package that the Nets did. And unfortunately, like, as high as I've been on Ben in the past, I just, he's not playing well right now. And his, like, value in a trade situation is not good. And his value on this team is not good. And we have an MVP candidate, and I know it's only been 12 games, but Joe is playing absolutely out of his mind. And this window where he is going to be arguably the most dominant player in the league is short. Like, 
without going and getting hardened or going and getting, I guess, Beal now, like the... Is that a possibility? Like, go possible. get them. <laughs> it's a possibility, possible. but I don't know that, like, Washington likes Ben and Russ playing together. Like, I don't... Like, Beal, I think, will go. Will he come to Philly? I, I don't know. Um, so it's it's been frustrating. I mean, you brought up the COVID stuff, Mike, with, with the NHL, and it's just been an absolute shit show in the NBA. The first, you know, I would say, like, week, maybe two, went off, like pretty okay and now there's just positive cases everywhere player the contact tracing is bullshit they're not you know players aren't playing but they're requiring like games to be played so the Sixers have played multiple games with like seven people on the roster and you know granted they're they're often bench players but it's resulting in either like too many minutes for Joe or for Danny Green or for Ben um or it's losses. <laughs> it's like the wins matter. I mean, the games count, yet the the teams are expected to play under these situations. And what's silly is like they purposefully didn't schedule like the second half of the season. They did not put games on the schedule to leave room for COVID and whatever fallout there could potentially be. But they're like making teams play. And it feels like... This is me as a Sixers fan probably bitching a bit. It feels like the Sixers are getting the shit out of the stick. Like multiple teams have gotten cancellations and gotten reschedules. The Sixers have yet to. They had to bring Mike Scott, who was like on the injured. Like he wasn't going to play. He was listed as not available. They made him available. The league made him become available coming off of an injury. The Celtics game got rescheduled the other night. Mm -hmm. They made the Sixers play with seven players. Like it... I, it makes no sense to me. No, it doesn't. Um, so I, I just, obviously, like, as a fan, I love watching basketball, and I want there to be games. But the the, the environment in which this is happening, just, it's not, it's not fair, and it's kind of spiraling. <laughs> like, yeah. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. They're putting in all of these restrictions. Like, they're not allowing players to leave their homes except for games and practices. And it's like, I just don't know how you expect people, men who have families and lives to, like, live. They're essentially trying to bubble these people in, in their home. And it's just, I mean. I know this is not, like, realistic, but. Purely from a strategy standpoint, it would just make sense to deliberately spread quarantine amongst the team, um, spread COVID, COVID amongst the team, yeah. quarantine them for the period, make up those games later, and then everybody be back and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't also infect you know, other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Other than I think Clemson did it in, in the fall, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, like it's crazy because you're trying so hard to avoid the spread where it's just not it's not realistic no until the you know until the vaccine is disseminated amongst that demographic right yeah but whatever i'm actually happy they didn't get james harden i don't think he would have fit well with joel i just don't think that i mean if you look at the teams that harden's played on has he gotten along with anyone that he's played with like, has anyone spoken really highly about him when he's left? God, I mean, probably not. But, I, I like, 
they haven't talked poorly about him. So he is an incredible scorer. I would argue like probably the best scorer I've ever seen play. And you've never seen Michael Jordan. (laughs) Um, He, his game is, is predicated on a lot of touches. So I can see your point in that, you know, we have Joe, right? This like all league, all defensive player who, I mean, if you watched him play against Miami, like brought the ball down the court, took guys down to the block, hit turnaround jumpers. I mean, it was his most impressive offensive game I've watched and taking touches away from Joe to give to James Harden. Yes, I, I guess I can see the concern. My issue is putting, like taking the ball out of Joe's hands to go to James Harden is awesome. Taking the ball out of James Harden's hands to go to Joe is awesome. Like it doesn't require anybody else on the team to matter for anything. And the Sixers have always been, they've always had to lean on someone else because Ben's not never been that guy. And they've never had another heavy lifter. If there were no, if, if, if we're creating a team with no personalities, I'm absolutely fine with it. I don't, I'm not concerned about James Harden's personality. No, I just, I, I think when you have ego and personality and you start taking possessions away from Joe and then, or you take possessions away from James, yeah. I don't, I just don't think it would have worked as well as when I heard it first, like, oh, absolutely. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know if that would have worked. There's speculation that Joe said no. <laughs> and I have, I mean, there's no like corroboration of that, right. but, um, People think that if he gives it the green light, then maybe Maury sweetens the deal or or makes right. it it's more it harder for um, Houston or James Harden to choose the the Nets. I don't know. I mean, I think like James Harden playing with Joel Embiid would be absolutely insane. Probably some of the craziest offensive numbers like any Sixers team has ever put up and. I mean, I think he definitely elevates whatever team he is on to a, a level above whatever they were without him. And the Sixers without him are a Eastern Conference final contender with him. I think they get to that finals contention, but that's just me. Not going to happen, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joel and B just put up numbers in that Miami game that – the Sixers franchise had never seen before. I think only like five players in NBA history had ever done it. It was like the amount of points, rebounds, assists, and steals that he had in a game had only been done like five other times in in NBA history. It was absolutely like... He had like 36 points. He had like 42. Okay. I mean, they went to overtime, so it was probably 36 in the regulation. But And then they had like scrubs who were playing who haven't gotten minutes hitting really big shots. So I guess in in some weird way, like giving those guys who would normally not get opportunities an opportunity to play is pretty cool. Yeah. I I hate it because like they can't dribble the ball and they kick it out of bounds and it's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. But like, like there's my game. <laughs> there's a couple like you know, the occasional big shot and you're like, oh, let's keep Dakota Matthias. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. Dakota. <clears throat> all right coach's corner yeah let's do it let's talk oh, about yeah. some uh oh, yeah target date funds <laughs> the high cost of target date date funds from the wall street journal 
Shayna Schoenberger. Uh, target date funds are designed to give investors a diversified portfolio that automatically gets more conservative as a goal, such as retirement or college, gets closer. These funds are often found in 401k and 529 plans. This article points a finger at the fees that investors pay to use these funds and encourages cheaper options. I'm on board. You're, You're on, on board, board. Jeff? How, how so? Yeah, I mean, I just... Um, so I've never really been a huge fan of target date funds. The funds of funds. I thought this article did a pretty good job of kind of explaining what they are. Um, I don't know specifically if there's a lot of shops out there that can that that still do the double dip in fees, like have a fund fee and then there's funds like the funds of funds have fees. I don't know if there's right. a lot doing that. The ones that do are the it's like the and I'm I'm just picking on names here, but it's like the principals out of the world right. or the or Wells Fargo and those guys, but. The biggest players, Vanguard, Fidelity, T. Rowe, I think their their fees are low, and they don't double dip. They don't charge an extra fee on top of the underlying fund. So I, I felt like the article was kind of accusing the funds of funds world as being like excessively high in fees, and it's just not the case. Like the average dollar invested in a target date, I mean, a, yeah, a target date fund is usually in a Vanguard one or a Fidelity one, and they're not egregiously high in fees. So they are higher though, right? No, they're like Vanguard doesn't charge any fee on their funds. They they the fee the only fees that are charged are the underlying funds themselves. There's not a an extra layer there. So okay, I felt like it was a little bit of a we're gonna write a research paper um, for the sake of writing a paper and let's pick on target date funds. Um, and I I have a little bit of disagreement with you. Jeff. I agree with you totally that you know if you have the wherewithal. Um, you should construct your own diversified portfolio of funds or investments or whatever it is. I think there's a great benefit in target date funds, especially for younger savers and investors, let's say, that that just, you know, they, they put their contribution in a, you know, a 2055 target date fund, which is almost all stock. It's diversified. It's set it and forget it. And you, they don't, you don't have to worry about what should I invest in. Um, so I kind of feel like they do more good than harm. Um, that That's just how I feel about them. I think that they're overused, though, and I think people don't also understand how to use them. I mean, we see people that have, like, multiple target date funds in the same right. 401k account, for example, and that's just um, unnecessary. But, yes, to the extent that you're using target date funds that are expensive, then that that's that's got to change. Yeah, so I just don't want someone determining when I should be making my portfolio more conservative. Like that's up to me and I like to have control over that. So by gradually if I when I pick the 2055 fund assuming what's that 30 years from now that I'm 30 and by 2055 I plan to retire, well maybe I don't want my portfolio to be 50-50 when I'm 65. I want it to be 80-20 still. So I just don't like that factor of it. So I th I think it I I hear you like if I'm a young person and like I'm just going to throw it in this fund and they're going to they're going to handle it. But if I'm a young person just throw it in two or three stock funds and let it go. Um same concept. And just it's I I guess it's the fact of it getting more conservative as I get closer to retirement may not gel with everyone's um individual plan. But she mentioned something at the end which I kind of triggered on which was um like take a look at 
how the fund is reallocating every year and just do it on your own, like just buy the underlining funds on your own. So like she talked about, like just doing it yourself. And that also opens up investors to making mistakes, right? They're going to, if they're going to rebalance it every year based upon what they think the fund is doing, it's going to allow them to like look at the, Mm-hmm. the returns of funds and say, Ooh, well, maybe I won't do that. Or maybe I won't do this. Like I met with a client this week and we were talking about reallocating her portfolio because she was in a smaller account model, which didn't have as much stuff in it. So we were going to buy a full allocation of a normal portfolio that we have. And as I was going through that with her, we were going through past performance of those funds in her husband's account which he owned the RWO, which is a real estate fund. And it lost like 26% last year or 16%. I forget what the number was. She's like, okay, well, I want that portfolio. I just don't want that. And I'm like, you're doing whatever you invest. Like, you know, you're realizing you're, you don't want to buy what's down, which is exactly what we well, should, should do, be yeah. doing. Yeah. And she's like, well, I just don't think real estate is going to be good now. We can add it in the future. I'm like, no, like, if you don't want real estate in your portfolio because you don't think real estate is worth it for the long run, then we're not going to have it ever. Like you're not going to call me in four years and say, oh, real estate's great now. Now let's buy it. Then we're doing the exact opposite of what we should be doing. So we're going to build a portfolio without real estate apparently. <laughs> the other thing that's kind of not really, it's not mentioned in this article. It's really important though. And, and that is that like T. Rowe Price and Fidelity, their target date funds are are comprised of um, underlying funds that are actively managed, right? Vanguard's different. Vanguard just uses index funds as the underlying investments, super low cost, very cheap exposure. There's like so much evidence that just shows that when you put together like a bunch of actively managed funds, like US, international, bond, whatever, and you put it up, you mash them all together. And let's say you have 12 funds, which is a target date fund from T. Rowe, let's say you basically have an index fund. Like you're not going to do any better than a global index fund, but what you're doing is you're paying way more for it. So the underlying actively managed fund costs end up being the drag that, that I guess this article's talking about, but I wish it said that in the article because that's really the issue. Um, that's that's probably my biggest critique of like the Fidelity T, really everybody out there except for Vanguard when they market and sell their target date funds to people because yes it's all in one it's easy it's set it forget it but it's way too expensive so the t row price target date fund like 2040 mm-hmm. it means they're building a fund of funds that's going to be appropriate for you and adjust over time if you were going to retire in 2040 correct right so they'll buy like the t row price large cap mid cap small cap stock and then the bond asset allocations and, and or bond asset classes and they're going to buy them in percentages today in 2020 maybe call it like it's a probably it's probably like 70 30 80 20 today right. mm-hmm. and then they adjust it as you get closer to 2040 so that you're more conservative it's like 50 in 50 by okay. that time or something close to that and then it stays there like indefinitely and you're saying that. when the t rows of the world build that portfolio of funds of a fund of funds with actively managed funds there's just so much stuff in there that you're just buying the market, basically. You definitely are, because while some of those funds may outperform, some of those funds are going to underperform. And what you get in the end is is a really expensive index fund. That makes sense. So. Um, we So obviously a lot of talk about 401ks. I feel like the 529s, we see this a lot as well. 
And I feel like the benefit of the target date in 529s is greater than in a 401k because similar to, right, there's the goal of college versus the goal of retirement. But college is like it starts and ends. Like there's a definitive start point and a definitive end date. You know you're going to need likely just because of the cost of school, you know, the majority of that account over the course of four years. So I like the idea of somebody who has a kid and has 18 years putting it in a target date when my kid is going to be 18. And then by the time they're 18, that is, yeah, it's it's a conservative account because four years is too short of a time frame to keep that stuff really like aggressively yeah, invested. Yeah, it, it can't be 60-40 or right. even 50-50 at that point. Right. It's a good point because- It's a really good point. That, that, that money is going to be spent like <clears throat> imminently yes. as opposed to- you retire, retire in 30 years, but you're still going to likely have 30 more years that you need that to grow. Yeah, and the time yeah. frame to accumulate is way shorter. Yeah. So it's very important that you are adjusting it down. Like you, you, you get five years away from college and you forget to ratchet down your 529 plan and it gets crushed. It may not get back to where it was by the time that kid needs the money. That's a good point. And there's also probably less, less money being you know, contributed compared to your retirement and therefore the the consequences of of market movements are more significant on a, a smaller amount of money so um I, I i agree with everything you guys said about the 401ks i just think from a 529 standpoint where we also see these a, a lot they're a little bit more valuable and maybe a bit of a better tool great point meg <laughs> way to wrap that one up <laughs> all right so um let's move on to Financing for everything. So you guys are kind of down on this article. What do you think? Um, it, well, it's 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 the Atlantic, and as we Mike talked about before, the they're just pretty long-winded and sometimes kind of annoying. But um, I, I was I, I learned something reading the article. I wasn't totally up to speed on all like the all the little companies that are out there offering point of sale. What's it called? I guess what are we calling it? Just installment financing as an alternative to putting it on a credit card? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, Why Is There Financing for Everything Now? It's from The Atlantic. It was written by Amanda Mull. Her article focuses on buy now, pay later services such as Klarna, Afterpay, and Affirm that offer you the ability to pay for something in multiple or no interest payments instead of a lump sum, multiple or low multiple low or no interest payments. These services are becoming more and more common and can be found on many retail websites. I didn't even know, like I've, I've experienced this and didn't even know I was experiencing it. Like I've bought things and they have all these options to buy it and didn't even know I was participating in what. Now I never acted on it. Yeah. I never used a firm to buy a $300 coach bag for my wife and pay it in $25 increments mm-hmm. over 10 months at no interest. Um, I found myself kind of bouncing around this article, like back and forth on my opinions of it. Like <clears throat> the idea sounds pretty cool, right? Like if if I'm a, a kid and I want to buy a pair of Jordans and they're 200 bucks, well, if I have a handle on my finances and I know, yeah, I have the 200 bucks, but why take it out of my bank if I can pay 50 bucks a month over the next four months. And you always yep. take, make that choice every time. Always. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's in your financial interest to not pay up front if they're charging you zero interest. It's a great idea. The caveat is if I have a handle on my finances, exactly. which a lot of people don't, 
because if you had the handle on your finances, you're like, look, I have a thousand dollars of discretionary spending a month. You know that you can, you can buy this, you can buy that, and you're going to stay within your discretionary spending limit. But the problem is most people don't. So I'm reading the article because I, like I said, I didn't know, never looked into how this works. So my first thing is, okay, how do these people make money, mm-hmm. right? No interest. So apparently the merchants are willing to pay these mm-hmm. companies directly because the merchants believe, and it's probably true, that yep. people buy more of their stuff yep. when, they, when they do it this way. And they don't have to pay the credit card company right. fee. Right. Um, it sounded like a win for everybody. It, it is. It, it's the, the people it's not a win for are those, Jeff, you just described, that are, that are irresponsible or can't get a handle on using this appropriately in their, like, to their benefit, benefit in their interest. I, I draw the analogy between this and putting every dollar you spend on a credit card that you get rewards points for because you're, you're basically, you know, the people that are carrying balances are subsidizing you. You're getting an economic benefit for spending, um, you know, I'm just get five thousand bucks a month and getting, you know, what fifty bucks and or seventy five dollars of of actual cash in your like accruing to your yeah. benefit, and if you don't pay any interest because you pay it off every month, it's it's like free, not free money, but kind of you're kind of you're kind of you know you're you're taking advantage of the system in a certain way that because you're responsible, the credit card companies kind of write you off as being yeah. the ones that are not profitable. They still make money on you, but not not in the way that they make it on charging somebody 18.5% interest. So I feel like, Jeff, I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm like, oh, I would do this all the time. Um, just spread out the payments and not pay any interest ever. I wish it was available on like necessities, right? Yeah. Like I wish that this was like somebody who – you know, was like living paycheck to paycheck maybe and like went online to buy their groceries and could, and I know, but right, there's payday loans. There are all these things that unfortunately have a greater impact on low income people. Like the people who could benefit from this the most are the people who don't have like the resources to be able to buy 150 or $200 worth of groceries at one time. So if there was an opportunity for them to utilize this in a fashion that could actually buy things they need and not the Jordans or not the coach bag. Because, I mean, I see this all over Nordstrom. I see it on any retail site. But, like, if you could fill your cart at Walmart and, you know, be able to, like, pay that over four months or I whatever. need diapers. Right. I thought the same thing. I wrote it down as a note. Like, if if this could be used for, like, necessities instead yeah. of high-priced coach bags yeah um that would be but yeah like i said i found myself kind of going back and forth like is this a good thing is this a bad thing but like you said mike everything can lead the poorly prepared financial person into into distress just yeah into into a bad situation like credit cards can leave you lead you into a bad situation so yeah i mean if this can be good for people uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Can we get back to like the beginning of the article? Remember credit card companies on campus giving you T-shirts yeah. and pe- like how wrong was that? How did that get approved? I don't know, but I was um, I'm past the point when they like when they made it. Illegal. Yeah, they got they shut it down. <laughs> so you graduated. You you were in college. That post, was my, post 09. Uh, Yeah, like my freshman year was 
the fall of 2008. I was curious. I wanted to chat yeah. with you about no, it. So th- this Mike, you probably happen. remember it, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So they would have like, you know how like at, at, at kids' soccer games, they have those like tents that the parents. Yeah. <laughs> so they would have those on campus and they were giving out like T-shirts and pizza. Literally, like what they what she yeah. said in the article for to sign up for a new credit card. I remember being in college and I never had a credit card. And like I needed clothes or something. And my buddy was like, dude, just get one of those credit cards. You get a t-shirt and a pizza and like you can pay it off whenever. And I was like, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and I did like, and I was, I'm, I'm a conservative person pretty much. So I like, I, I did it and I wanted to like structure and I bought like $150 of clothes. And like, I was so stressed out. But like I made the payment, but I was like, I don't know, man. This 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 seems like this could get me in trouble. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so how fun. many kids it did get in trouble? Mm-hmm. And then they went the other way. Like as soon as they kicked them off campus, like the balance sheets of all of these students like improved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you've never used it, Mike? Have you ever used it, Jeff? Did you say? I have never used it. Yeah. I use like if I go to Best Buy and buy a two thousand dollar TV, yeah. I will absolutely use the eighteen months no interest financing. Yeah, every time. Yeah, like I bought a couch and I used like interest free financing on like the store credit card. But I guess that's a credit card. Is that that's it's that different? It's a credit card. Yeah, yeah so if I have to you open don't... a credit card, and if I don't pay it off in so many months, then interest begins accruing. No, they they if you don't pay it off by their time frame, yeah. they charge back all of the interest from the beginning. Yeah, it's retro. Really? Yeah, it's retro. That's So if it's if it's let's say 12 months and I don't pay it off. If you pay it off in 12 months and 5 days, they hit you with all of the interest that accrued over the course of that 12 months. Over the course of the 12 Shit, months. I fine didn't know print, that. Meg, fine wow. print, the fine print. Yeah. Wow. Good thing I read it all. Yeah, so that was kind of why I put this article in here was the luxury. Like, since I graduated college in 1999 and then bought homes and things like, I haven't paid interest on any like major purchase. Like Raymore and Flanagan to fur- furnish my homes. Like TVs, cars have been low. Like it's it's been an amazing time to be a consumer. The one thing I thought that they they mentioned in here home shopping that like they kind of stole the model from. Back in the home shopping network days, you remember that? Yeah. So that was kind of like the pioneer of this, where they would be like four easy payments of whatever, and people were just like spending their entire days on the phone just ordering stuff. And I guess yeah, the retailers are like, well, clearly people buy more crap from us yeah. when they're you know able to pay for it in this way. So let's do it. Um, makes sense. Yeah. All right. All right. Good stuff. <laughs> Running out of time before running out of money. Uh, Dollars of data. Nick Majuli wrote this article. As planners, we are constantly modeling and projecting the health of a client's financial plan to ensure that they do not run out of money. Nick's piece challenges that a bit in saying even by doing everything right, the outcome of your life will always be unknowable. So finding a true balance between saving and living, while difficult to do, should be a focus. Are we going to... um... Are we going to tag Nick in this podcast? If you're going to shit on him now. I'm not going to shit on him. I just <laughs> thought like it was kind of funny. Um, in the beginning of the article, he's reading the email he got from or he types the email he got from this client or yeah. person that, you know, that that hit him like a ton of bricks. So like how this guy like highlights the fact that like, dude, I might not live long and I'm going to save all this money and not get to spend it. And he goes, 
Um, that email shook me to my core. <laughs> like, holy finance nerd, dude. Really? That shook you to your core? <laughs> shook you to your core. Yeah, like, I, I know it was just strong like I, I kind of yeah. had the same I, thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the that whole, like, like paragraph. <laughs> Ton of bricks, wisdom, self-awareness, openness. I, emotional. Yeah. So Nick, I, I, I apologize. Yeah. I actually did really enjoy the article yeah. and I have a lot of feedback from it because we've experienced this a ton. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just would have been a little softer in the beginning if I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you start then if you have a lot of feedback? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's something that I've wrestled with as a planner, my, the majority of my career, which is you don't know when people are going to die. And our number one goal is to make sure people do not run out of money because people, no one wants to run out of money. But where is that fine line? I can specifically remember a client who I was, you know, he, he and his wife are older and I ended up talking to his, his kids because the, the kids got involved. And his daughter at one point was like, you told my dad, like, he can't buy a Cadillac. Like, he's an old guy. All he wants is a new car. And I was like, you're right. Like it didn't fit in the budget that year. It was too much of a draw from a percentage standpoint. But I wasn't looking at the big picture. Like he's not going to live another 30 years. And and even if they, they, they do cut it close, like, okay, so when he's 92, he ran out of money. But the old guy got to drive his caddy at 78. Like there's more value to that. And that kind of experience also coupled with tons of experiences unfortunately of clients that retire and immediately get sick or retire and immediately die it's it's awful to watch and be a part of to to see people as nick said like work their whole lives save their whole lives go without their whole lives and then not enjoy it is is a crime and i agree i mean you i said this to you yesterday you had had a call with a client who um, is sick and his wife is still working and she's now going to retire to take care of him essentially. And like, you know, they, she had, and I'm sure they collectively had this vision of what their retirement life would look like and going and doing and traveling. And, you know, it, it's likely going to look a lot different than, than what they'd hoped. And, um, you know, there's like really no amount of money that changes like right that, um, money helps with health and resources help with health, but like your f- circumstance is what it is and it's not going to cure a lot of things that are you know, uncurable. So I-, I feel like it is probably the most difficult thing about what we do. It's, it's so much more nuanced than like, you know, the, the Monte Carlo projection. And I just think sometimes I know personally, I, I forget that. And I think even COVID, because we haven't been seeing our clients as much in person, there's an element of that that I'm missing as well because I look at a financial plan and I'm not like sitting across the table from someone like we've done mostly in the past. And, you know, I don't have them in my ear saying, but I really want or I really think. And I'm just saying no. And our job isn't – our job's to say no, but it's also to say yes. And it's also to give confidence. And, um, you know, it's it's not easy, but I, it's – where we have to kind of live like in that very gray area yeah i mean this is again this is all about like the quest for balance right and that that balance 
is in every part of everybody's life, whether you're trying to balance like your exercise regimen with having fun and maybe cheating when you're with your diet, like you're, you're trying to balance having fun, enjoying the day, enjoying the meal, enjoying the whatever, um, but also you know, either taking care of yourself. And in this case, it's taking care of yourself financially, financially for the future versus spending today. And um, it's a really hard thing to ever get right. And you're, it's something you always work on. Like you, so even, even these, these day-to-day decisions on, should I take that vacation? And can I afford it? I mean, I would say in our experience, the answer is almost always absolutely. Yes, you can. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's rare that we, we come across people that we know, like they can't, they can't spend any more than they're spending right now, or they're like, it's over. Um, so, so I think, I think for the most part, I, I feel like we're erring on the side of encouraging people to enjoy the life part of it now, um, unless it's uh, unless it's obvious that right. it's not possible. So, but I think you're right. I mean, I think that's a that's an underrated part of our job is guiding people through that those decisions when there's no black or white answer. Because you're right, Meg. It's not just math at all. Um, and even the Monte Carlos, I've read a bunch of stuff lately where some people have criticized planners like us who use those simulations to, you know, which which provide a percentage confidence level of like you're gonna you're gonna make it. And you know, some I read something where somebody goes, "I'll take seventy five percent chances all day long." Sure, if, sure. If that's what what it shows, I don't need it to be ninety five. Yeah, and that's such a good point because it it really is true. Like because seventy five is good odds and. And there are also other contingencies that can take place to, to allow you to bridge gaps if, if and when that happens. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good subject matter, I think. Yeah, I've always tried to kind of live my life that way where it's like I, I want to save, but I also want to spend now. Like I want to take the trip or go have a nice meal because I've seen so many people that spend so much time and effort to like save a buck. And when I watch that, it's like, dude, it's costing you more, Mm -hmm. right? Like your search for the $3 rug that you need in front of your house, like it costs you more than the $20 I spent for my rug. When I just walked in like, yep, got it online, shipped it to me, done. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people like, they're they're being frugal, but they're not recognizing the effort and time they put in for that frugality. But I would say, sorry, Meg, there are those kind of people I find take a great deal of pleasure in the, in the process of finding the deal. Like somebody who'll drive an extra 20 miles to avoid the toll. And when you do the math, they, they spent more in gas, right. but they feel great about the fact that they didn't, they didn't have to pay that toll. Right. And it's like, I, I think that those people just get such a charge out of, um, you know, being frugal and finding the deal, even though, you know, maybe they would admit that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the math didn't work in my favor, yeah. but yeah, you know, frugality aside, do you think that generationally us planning for people our age when they get to like quasi retirement or whatever retirement looks like is going to be different than the people we're planning for now? Like the, the, so we'll say the, the current 40 year old versus the current 65 year old. I definitely do. Yeah, I do too. I think that the majority of the generation that we're dealing with who are now, say, 70, yeah. um, 
a lot of them grew up very frugal, avoiding debt, saving um, religiously. And I think that I, I just feel like for a lot of the current, say, 40 year olds, things are very different. They spend a ton. Yeah. It's very much more of a, um, you know, consumption oriented mindset than than saving for, for tomorrow. So and I, I also yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I also mean, though, that like the current 70 year old, they didn't do anything like their lives, mm-hmm. you know, the, the experiences that they had were like very local. And I don't mean that as a as a knock. It was just. You, you know, you got married, you had kids, you went to work. Like, what else did you do with your life? And I feel like they always looked at retirement as the point in time where we're going to be able to do all of these things. I feel like our generation is of the mindset, at least I know I am and a lot of my contemporaries are like, I'm not waiting till I'm 60, 65, 70 to do the things that I can and want to do now. So my retirement, like, I don't know, bucket list, if you want to call it that, or the goals that I have in retirement are not going to be to like go and do and see. It's, you know, hopefully more of like, what can I, who can I help? And like, what can, whatever I've, I've accumulated or saved do for, for others? Because I don't, I don't intend to like have a lot left <laughs> that I want to accomplish at that point. And I just feel like that's a little bit of a difference between the people we work with now and the people we're going to be working with in 25 years. Yeah, I'm not sure because I think no matter what generation you grew up in, you're going to get to an age, whether it be 65 or 75, where you have this fear that we see in all of our older clients of running out of money. So about like the line where we were talking about earlier about having to walk where we don't advise people to spend too much. A lot of that is also driven by they're, they're afraid to watch the dollar amount go down when they retire. Right? If I have a million today, I don't want to see it be worth 900 at the end of next year. And I think the 40-year-olds today, when they get to a certain age, will probably that's got to start to enter their, their mindset. Like I, I only have, because I retired, a finite amount of money because I don't want to go back to work. I still want to do those things. So I don't want to watch it go down, that fear of running out of money. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that goes away. I guess my point is the things that our current clients are spending a lot of money on, I think our future clients will have already done. I just think there's like big ticket items that people now just aren't waiting to pull the trigger on. And um, I, I agree that I don't think it's going to change like – the fear of running out of money or the the unknown of healthcare and and family and kids like all of those things i think will remain very consistent but i guess I, they're just maybe it's just travel i'm thinking of specifically um or i, I don't i don't know you know like gifting you know maybe like being more active with and and philanthropic with your money as you're accumulating it versus when you've accumulated it um, I just feel like, you know, you mentioned consumption, but it's more of a do now approach with people our age versus I feel like the current retiree is a, was a do later and retirement was, is later. It's, I think it's very generational. When I look at the 65 year olds, the 75 year olds today that we work with, they didn't have it. They just didn't have the money. Like as they were raising children and 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 going through their like 
30s through their 50 through 55 like they didn't have money today it's different so like the the 55 year old they accumulated their million bucks between the ages of 55 and 65 like that's from my experience that's what i saw these people accumulated they saved the most that they that they that of their life in the last 10 years of their working career and they did without for the majority of their working lives I think the 40-year-olds today have a much different financial situation. They're making more money. Isn't it relative, though? I don't, I don't, I don't. I, yeah, I think it's me. I don't think so. I, I feel- think Meg's, I agree with Meg a little bit more on the, on the, just the philosophy and the approach and the, the um, lack of willingness to sacrifice experiences when you're younger. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to compare um, absolute relative amounts of like, you know, incomes and lifestyles yeah. and all that. Yeah. But, I, but, um, I guess I'm saying too, like to Jeff, I also do agree with you that by and large, I think that most, most of this generation is doing better than their parents Yeah, were they, at that time. They have more disposable income. They're able to save max out their 401k and have discretionary spending and, and, and gift and, and travel and do things and rent beach houses where, I still talk to clients today that are millionaires, but like they're saving up because they're working this year so that they can rent the two weeks at the beach. It's just in their, that's how they, that's how they did it their whole lives. And they're still doing it that way. And I guess, isn't that like kind of my point? Like that's, that's the mindset it was to save as opposed to what you said, you know, you want to save some, but you also want to spend some. Like, I just, I don't know how much there was like, a spend some, and I guess your point is that they didn't have it to spend. Yeah. And my point is maybe they just chose not maybe. to. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. No conclusive evidence. <laughs> no, no. Has been come to the end. <laughs> All right. Want to wrap it up with our top five? Sure. Top five drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you yeah. don't drink, right? You don't Slightly have any. Less you don't have any drinks. You, you're not a. I struggled with this because I don't enjoy drinks that much. And I'm not talking about like drinks. I'm talking about just, <laughs> you know, a specific type of drink, if that makes any sense. But I, I've, I came up with five. I, I guess I'll start. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm probably the worst ones. Oh, well, mine aren't great. Um, and some of these are very situational. So, okay, um, good. Mine are, mine are all situational. Okay, good. Yeah. So, and this is not really in any order, but I'm, I'm going to start with the st- a staple, which is, when you are coming off of like a very, um, like an active workout or whatever activity you're doing and you're literally so parched, just freaking cold water is the best, <laughs> right? I don't get, I don't need any of these like, you know, um, electrolyte things or anything. Just give me cold water and there's mm-hmm. nothing better. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's one. Um <laughs> Now, caveat: I do love the ye- <laughs> I do love the yellow Gatorades, man. They're great. So when I'm really thirsty, or if I've just done something activity-wise, and I just said water was the best, but yellow Gatorades also <laughs> awesome. Okay, um, uh, we need to have a conversation about this. What's your favorite color Gatorade? It used to be yellow. I have gravitated really? to orange now. I think yellow is trash. <laughs> Everything else sucks. Yellow is good. <laughs> Um, I'm an orange girl. Ugh, red and orange. Red's have. bad. Red's bad. I mean, obviously, the like glacier crush you is keep like. All that crap. Oh really? Oh my god. Oh, that one is like the light blue and <laughs> yeah. the light purple. No. <laughs> no. Um, 
I'm moving on to an alcoholic one. I love uh, this is refreshing. You guys might know this um, unsweetened tea and vodka. Unsweetened tea and vodka, a couple cubes. It's 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 a it's a nice. I like tea. I don't yeah. like sweet tea though. Yeah, I do unsweetened tea. I don't mix it with vodka, but I. Can you you know, do regular like tea, right? You do sweetened tea. I'm, I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a different animal, dude. I do like. <laughs> but isn't I your do one... tea cooler? I'll do like tea, iced tea and lemonade with like club soda and vodka. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, my next one is just like a with a with a meal. I, I'm a huge red wine guy. I love mm. a good red wine, and I'm not even gonna say like. With there's not like a specific one, just a good yeah. glass of yeah. Yeah. Uh, or two of of red wine with with a good meal. And then my last one is kind of situational. I'm thinking about skiing, right? So like after you're skiing for a, bun- a bunch of time and you, and you roll into the lodge and you, and you just have a beer. Like it doesn't even really matter like what kind of beer. Light beer is fine too. Like, um, so when you're outside in the cold, skiing, playing pond hockey, whatever it is, and you sit down after being active, and you crack a beer. That's that's a that's a great drink for me. So it's a good go. list, dude. That's actually a really good list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want me to go? Sure. Um. All right. So some minor situational. Some aren't. Um. The first day of your vacation, like the first beer you have, is always like the best beer. Yeah, it's a good one. I thought it out. Vacation. Similar. You're speaking more specifically like warm weather. I don't know that it, it matters. Matter. It I think matter. the first day when you're like, I don't have to do shit I don't want to do yeah. for like more than one day, the first beer you open is just Yeah, those first my days, since that first one is so good, those first days usually get out a little out of hand, a little out <laughs> of control. I always go too hard on the first day and then I'm like regretting it day two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm with you, Mike, red wine, but my situation was like long day, come home, put yeah. on sweats, yeah. pour a glass of wine, <laughs> just sit on my couch. Interesting. Um, I'm kind of into mezcal right now, like the smoky tequila. Mm-hmm. And um, I recently had a mezcal paloma and it was just, yeah, so it's like grapefruit and like a little bit of simple syrup and then mezcal. Wow. It's dope. Like okay. highly recommend. Um, <clears throat> if I'm hungover, a Wawa Fountain Coke, like, there's nothing that beats it. Really? Nothing. Yeah, everyone everyone seems to swear by the, the hungover soda, fountain mm-hmm. sodas, and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, or the same thing with grease, like a, a greasy, like, fast food burger, it doesn't. I've moved away from the greasy fast food because it just makes me feel worse. Yeah, that's what I mean. The soda, I don't know what it is, right. and I don't drink soda, but that is yep. when I get my soda in, and then chocolate milkshake i can just get down with pretty much all the time that's pretty good right. good one <laughs> so our overlap was consistent i'm a red wine guy i enjoy a glass of red wine but much different circumstance like i don't want to put my sweatpants on and sit on the couch it's 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 at a steakhouse mm-hmm. or when i made a steak like specifically filet mignon like <laughs> with red wine it's just an unbelievable combo. it is a good combo um, I mean, I love coffee. Like oh, my coffee yeah. in the morning, <clears throat> I drink it with like just a little bit of cream. 
that's more from a health standpoint. I do really like the taste of it. But then if, if you were to like fancy it up with a little bit of sugar or like a little French vanilla, like I can get down with that too. It's really good. Um, the standard Coca-Cola classic, but it has to be, I don't like fountain soda for for whatever reason. So you're talking like a can? No, it, it could be a can or a bottle. It ha- like I, t- I get a pint glass, I fill the pint glass with ice to the top. And then from a can bottle, I don't care. Coca-Cola classic in a glass with ice is just... And I don't drink soda. I'll have yeah. like two a month maybe. And it's like, it's an event for me. You got to go ice because that's yeah. my beef with the cans and the bottles is there's there's so much more sugary than the fountain soda. And when the ice melts a little bit and mm-hmm. you get that last two or three like sips that are a little watered down, dude, perfect. I recently had a can of Coke here, I think. And I drank it and I was like, I just got six cavities. Yeah, Like yeah, it's, the sweetness was just gross. too much. You stole my number one, which oh. was, but I, I'll one-up you, a chocolate malt shake. <laughs> Spe- Aren't you? <laughs> specifically a malt. It's phenomenal. When was the last time you had one? It's been a long, long, <laughs> long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Being that I have L.I. Um, have L.I. <laughs> L.I. I'm lactose intolerant. Um, I think you are. I don't know if you have. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. And then another number one for me, it was a close second to the malt shake, was a um, a Corona with a lime, specifically warm weather somewhere with guac and chips. Like, it's just perfect. Specifically in San Diego. Right, right. At the Marriott Marquis Marina Bar. <laughs> They're sponsoring us. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not a big Corona girl. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I'll do it if it's like the light beer of choice. But... At the beach with your toes in the sand, like, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. That's where you had to go tea and vodka, Jeff. Then, then like, the day can kind of get away from you, Mike. <laughs> I like to pace myself at the beach. <laughs> Wasn't as horrible as you guys thought the top five would be. No, I think we made it better than than the name yeah. was. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks All right. for listening. Yeah. All right. Until next time. See ya.